Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Boar Film Podcast. Today, we are here discussing teen films. So, teen films. Yes, there are a lot of them. <laughs> um, I think, well, I'm not really sure if I qualify as an expert in this area, but I have watched a ridiculous number of high school films and teen films and coming-of-age films. Um, most of them very bad, I would say. I feel like there are very few that stand out as um, actually good examples of the genre. Uh, and it's very easy to sort of pick holes in them, but I keep watching them. So <laughs> there we go. Absolutely. I know exactly what you mean. But just to be very clear, uh, I'm the editor of the Boar Film section, and I'm here oh. today <laughs> talking to Lucy Carter about teen films. Now. Yeah jumped right into that point sorry <laughs> oh no that's absolutely fine that's good it's it shows you're passionate about the subject that's that's what we want to hear um when this topic was first suggested you brought up an interesting sort of dichotomy a difference between two films and they are ladybird and Booksmart. i'd love to hear what your thoughts are on the two yeah so um i felt like with I'll start with Ladybird because this is the one that's the most fun to talk about because I hated it so much. Um, I felt like it was, I was really missold Ladybird. Everyone I know said how great a film it was and how, oh, it really like has this amazing mother-daughter dynamic and it's all this whole coming of age journey and it's really brilliant. And I watched it just before I went to university. Um, so, you know, the same age as the main character. And I watched it with my mum and it's like, okay, right. So this should be very, I don't know, relatable to me, seeing as I'm in the same, a similar position, not the same obviously, but to the main character. And I watched it and I just hated her so much that it wasn't even in a fun way of hating a character or whether there's anything redeemable. I just thought the whole way through that she was in the wrong, which I don't think I was supposed to. Um, looking at what other people have said and what my friends thought about it. Um, they all thought that she was quite a sympathetic character, even though she was flawed. But I thought her flaws were not too much. But I thought, well, yeah, I guess too much, really. I just felt like she was completely unsympathetic and really annoying, which I guess you don't really want if you're, you know, supposed to root for the main character. I was kind of just, um, yeah, more on the mum's side than hers, which I guess, again, seeing as I was sort of supposed to relate to her as a character, felt like it was a bit of a misguided characterization or something. Um, then on the other hand, Booksmart, which I told myself I was gonna watch when it came out in cinemas and then uh, spent about two years not watching. Um, I finally saw that a couple of weeks ago and it was just one of the best films I've ever seen um the characters were real and in this case I felt like their flaws were more realistic and they made them more interesting characters rather than just making you hate them uh yeah I guess that was the main sort of difference I found between the two interesting now it's really good to talk to you about this Lucy because I am one again, like you, one of the few people that really doesn't like Ladybird. Yeah. What 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 did you find about it that was bad? 
pretty much the same as you. I watched it at the same time as you, uh, just before going to university. And I had been told by people I knew, this is brilliant. This is the sort of coming of age teen film of our time. You've got to see it. You've got to watch it. And I like Saoirse Ronan. I think she's good. You know, uh, Brooklyn and so on, the good film. I think she's a good actress. So I was, I was excited to see it. And just from the very beginning of the film, my overriding thoughts were, I don't like this person. And does this kind of person even really exist? Yeah, I think that the sort of questioning whether she really exists is, um, well, that sort of person exists, I think was one of the film's biggest flaws. Because with any coming of age film, however sort of quirky and different they make the protagonist, they're supposed to be relatable and be sort of an everyman figure that you can relate to. And I just felt like she wasn't at all. Um, I actually thought that her best friend in it, whose name I have forgotten because I have erased so much for this film from my brain, <laughs> um, but I thought that she was a far more interesting character and I would have preferred to have had a story about her and sort of her more complex relationship because she also has a difficult or I guess troubled relationship with her mother but I thought that would have been far more interesting to look into than the story we did get. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because I think the friend is played by the girl who plays the lead in Booksmart. Yeah, I think her name's Beanie Fel Feldman. I'm not entirely sure. I'm very bad with names. But um, yeah, I think she's a brilliant actress. And it's kind of interesting looking at the two films next to each other with her as kind of a go-between because her character, and well not even just her character, but the whole sort of format of the coming of age film is just done so much better in Booksmart. And it's so much more, I feel like although Booksmart sort of, a lot of it is a comedy and it was marketed as a comedy, there's, I felt a lot more emotional investment in it than I did in Lady Bird, which was marketed as a much more sort of serious and emotional film. Um, yeah, and I guess that just sort of goes to show that the characterization and the plot and pretty much everything in books was just so much better. My overriding thoughts when I watched Lady Bird were that this this type of teenage character who that there's the there's a quote that I've written down here, I wish I could live through something is like her big line in the film. Which to me just feels like who says that as a teenager? Yeah, I think actually you now you say that. Um, that kind of makes me think of the, within like young adult literature and particularly sort of the John Green brand of young adult literature, there's such a specific sort of character who's like, oh, I'm different, I'm quirky, I have a very niche interest that will become my entire personality trait for this novel. And all of, I have so many complaints about John Green, but anyway, um, I think that his characters are just awful in a sense um because they're just so unrealistic and they don't speak like real people and they don't talk like real teenagers and I think that that's also what I found with Ladybird and like with what you're saying that that character doesn't exist it's very much here's a teenager who's been written by an adult from an adult perspective rather than an at all realistic teenager 
Oh, absolutely. I think you feel that throughout the film. Like, the film opens with her having that argument with her mom where she jumps out the car. And mm. I think the film wants you to go, yeah, that I like her. She's rebellious. And I just thought, that's really horrible to her mom. And she's yeah, hurt herself. I mean... That's exactly what I thought. The whole thing, all the way through, um, I felt like I was being told to not like the mother. But the whole way through, I just thought... The mother's doing everything for her daughter and her daughter's just going, oh, I'm going to be rebellious for the sake of it, really. Because I felt for a lot of the film, what was she really rebelling against being from Sacramento? <laughs> it doesn't seem like a very big sort of... I guess looking at all of the other characters in the film who have much bigger problems than her, she just comes across very self-centred and to the point where... It, it, she's just unlikable was really the main thing that I took away from it. Absolutely. I mean, just the, the idea of this teenage girl character who the whole way through is unhappy and constantly says, I want to be somewhere else. I want to be doing something else. I want to be, I want, I'm just like the, the word that strikes me is striving. She's striving to be somewhere else, to be something different. That for me feels like a mid twenties woman, maybe more than a teenage girl. That's that's a really interesting point, actually. Um, I think that kind of ties in with the feeling like she's an unrealistic teenager because, and like I was saying, I feel like she's written, it very much feels like she's written by adults rather than with the, like, with the actual thought of a teenager in mind. And um, yeah, I think that that sort of struggle of, well, I guess with the idea of going to university, there is that sort of, oh, I want to be somewhere else. I want to, I've outgrown this small town. But a lot of, I think it probably would have worked better with an older protagonist. Um, and I think that also probably could have made the conflict with her mother more interesting because it might have come across as less childish and sort of, yeah, just sort of petty, but in a very childish way because sort of, well, I'm really just rambling, but um, with the conflicts with her mother, I felt like they weren't very meaningful um, because they just sort of went over the same thing again and again. I'm not sure if that really is a valid criticism, but yeah. No, I do know what you mean. And the whole film, she just looks absolutely miserable. Mm. And there's a little bit of me that's like, you know, it. it's Saoirse Ronan who is basically like a supermodel playing this teenage girl in a school. She goes out with Timothy Chalamet, am I right in thinking? It's like, yeah. there's a little bit, bit of me that's like, it's not that terrible, is it? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I definitely got that. And I think that's another reason she's so unlikable is that she sort of creates these struggles for herself. That she's got, um, I think her, as far as I remember, her dad's very supportive of her and is helping her like, apply to college in New York and her mum's um I remember there's one part where she's decided that she's upset about something and her mum goes and takes her around all of the open houses in the area um and looks and they go and look at all these houses together and she takes an evening off work to do this despite the fact that all the way through you know that she's having to work really hard to support the family and it's and then you've got all of these people making sacrifices for her and also going through 
I know like suffering isn't a competition, but a lot of them are going through a lot worse than she is. And her struggles just seem very childish and sort of inconsequential. And I think that just, yeah, it's just sort of, it's not as bad as she's making it out to be. So yeah, I think that really does make her less likable. I completely agree. Have you ever seen a film called Dazed and Confused? No, I have been meaning to for about a year and a half now, but I haven't actually watched it. That That's a film I really like, and it's another coming-of-age American film. And the man that made it, uh, Richard Linklater, who also made School of Rock, which everyone loves. Of course. Um, his quote on making that film was something like, you watch all these teen films and there's so much sort of violence and drama and emotion and people want to get away. He said, when I was a teenager, what you did was you hung out with your friends, you drank a bit and you drove around. And so he made a film about doing that and it, it works so much better. Mm. I think that actually um, makes me think of another point that's sort of about teen films in general, because they are very built on cliches and it sort of depends on whether those are done well or not of whether the film's good. But they build this whole sort of teen films as a genre have constructed this whole fantasy of what being a teenager is like. And it's so far removed from reality that these films are almost like fantasy films because no one has these experiences. Um, sort of, I guess, if you look at the first high school film that comes to mind is High School Musical, that in that sort of... Um, exemplifies the whole thing that there's this whole image of what you're supposed to experience in your teenage years and um this is slightly tangential but I feel like they really missell the whole experience of being a teenager to the point where everyone ends up disappointed because they're not living this perfect like film life and um I think that's really interesting the idea of making a film that is actually about what being a teenager is like and I feel like um sort of just jumping back to Ladybird very quickly I feel like that's what um with the attempt was to produce there and it just failed um but yeah I definitely want to watch Days and Confused now that sounds good wonderful um I, I, I completely agree with what you said that a lot of teen films have this image of being a teenager that's just completely off and unrealistic and I think it's kind of damaging in a way I think I, I agree with what you said it does make people feel disappointed that they're not living this kind of life that you see because it's either this sort of happy clappy world where you know you get you you end up in a relationship with the person that you fancy after this big party and everything goes well and so that there's, there's that side of it or there's the side of it um shows like skins where it's like it's really edgy it's like oh there's there's mm -hmm. drugs and there's crime and and I think for most teenagers, like definitely people I went to school with and talking about myself, most of my teenage years were just spent inside watching like TV or something because that's what you do. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like you're just, like you say, you're sitting and watching TV and you're seeing these people living these lives that you're not. And it's like, oh, am I supposed to be doing that? Am I supposed to be, I don't know, becoming a drug addict at 15? Or am I supposed to be like joining the high school play or whatever and it just creates these awful standards that you're never gonna actually be able to live up to um yeah I guess that's kind of a depressing point but I um 
that's a rant that I often go off on whenever I watch a teen film. I'm like, this is so stupid. This doesn't happen in real life. But yeah, I think it's an interesting sort of phenomenon, I guess. And the, the biggest market for teen films, the biggest producer of teen films is America. And they all seem to be set in California. So it's always these, even something like Booksmart, which I watched this morning in preparation for this, because <laughs> I wanted to know what it was like. I, I liked it. I thought it was good. Um, but even that, it's set in California. It's these big, rich, expensive houses. Everything looks pretty. Everything looks beautiful. They get a lot of actors in their mid-20s that are very conventionally attractive to play these teenagers. And it that, that sort of American way of doing it where everything looks nice and pretty just doesn't quite live up to any lived experience I've had as a teenager. Yeah I completely agree because as much as I loved Booksmart I thought it was just a brilliant film. Um, I think that the point you made about it's all very it's always rich people in these things and or or if they're not actively sort of portrayed as rich you go hmm, well, you have a ginormous house with a swimming pool and, like, a cinema in it, practically. And then it's never really sort of elaborated on. And, um, yeah, that's true, actually, about things being set in California. They, they <laughs> High school films seem to often be in California. I guess that's just the appeal of it being really warm and sunny. So, yeah. Hmm. I have to ask, have you ever seen The Inbetweeners? I've seen about four episodes of The Inbetweeners and I couldn't get into it no matter how hard I tried. But um, yeah, I think that's, from what I saw, I feel like that's maybe a slightly more realistic portrayal of being a teenager because it's kind of just a very generic looking school. Because I've always found even the schools in these sort of films look so shiny and polished. And yes. I just think these schools, no, no school is like that. Nothing looks that tidy and clean and like everyone looks so sort of set in their routine and stuff. That's just not true. But um yeah, I think with the in-betweeners that probably is a bit more realistic. With American films, you get the shiny, very clean schools with graffiti on them. It it looks like yeah. they've cleaned the wall down first before putting the graffiti on, which I find quite funny. It it all just feels a bit artificial, you know. Yeah, very conscientious graffiti artists who are just oh, yeah. like tidying it all up. In terms of the in-betweeners, that's it's I completely understand why you might not be able to get into it. I totally get the barrier because it is such a full-on show. Um mm. in terms of what it's dealing with. It's the the language in it is just constant in terms of the the, the stuff that they're talking about. It's such a profane show that's kind of proud of it. But just speaking personally, as a boy that went through secondary school, that's the most realistic depiction I've ever seen of going to a British secondary school. Uh, there's a great video that on, on YouTube that you can find quite easily that compares the American in-betweeners to the British one and what the differences are. And some stuff that they point out is, in the British one, every single day that the, the show is filmed, pretty much, it's overcast. It's just kind of cloudy and miserable all of the actors that they get to play the four main boys don't look conventionally attractive. Mm. They all look a bit nerdy and awkward, which fits because they're playing nerdy, awkward characters. So that I really like that about it. 
and just a plot of an episode of the Inbetweeners, just off the top of my head, is that they go to a disappointing caravan party, then go home. <laughs> That's far more realistic than most coming of age films. Absolutely, it's it's not life and death, and it's not oh I've got to, you know, get tell the girl I love her at the prom, and it's all going to be perfect, and that it's like. There's an episode where one of the characters, Will, his mom leaves for the weekend. So they have a party at his house, but there's like there's like four of them there, and they just get a bit drunk and go to sleep. It's because it's that's that's what happens. I mean, that's what I appreciate about that show, is that it feels so painfully true to what it's like. And all the characters, the way that they speak feels really accurate as well, because they're swearing constantly and they're constantly putting each other down. And it's just like, yeah, that is that is how teenage boys speak. I think sort of going off of that and thinking about TV shows, I guess one of the most recent sort of vaguely coming of age things was um, sex education. And what you were saying about sort of realistic ways of talking, I think that does quite well. Um, I actually watched a really interesting video about basically someone just saying why they loved the show and why they thought it was really good. And a lot of it was about how the characters again feel like real people and they're given sort of actual personalities and they they act like human beings rather than sort of just constructions um made to make a point and I thought that was a really interesting point especially since how if you look at the show it's very clearly influenced by sort of 1980s high school films um and sort of that whole cliche high school TV show genre. But I think it just does it so much better. And it does, you actually care about the characters rather than just going, oh, this person has this personality trait. So I know exactly what's going to happen to them. And I'm not, I don't really care. Um, which I think a lot of films can sort of, and TV shows can sort of fall into, they make the characters so cliche and so predictable that it ruins the plot because you can just tell exactly what's going to happen as soon as they're introduced. Uh, yeah, it's a bit tangential, but um, I think that's a really good coming of age sort of show. No, I, I completely agree. I've only seen little bits of uh, sex education, but I, I did find it very funny. And I mm. thought, again, the casting is very good in it because I get they don't look like supermodels, which is good. Yeah, I think... I don't know if it's a, a British show thing that they're, they're willing to cast people who aren't just like perfect looking because um, in this video I watched actually they, uh, the person compared it to Riverdale and the fact of saying you're going okay this very clearly mid-twenties man does not look like a 15 year old Yeah, and it's just yeah I think it's really important when you're looking at um, sort of teen films and shows and where we were talking about the unrealistic expectations it gives some of that is even what people look like because they're saying this is what you're supposed to look like when you're 16 and then showing you someone who's 25 and that's I think damaging on a whole other level but um yeah oh, I completely agree I mean that that's probably my ultimate gripe with teen films is when they cast people in their mid-twenties that are really conventionally attractive. Um, but I think there's something that I've noticed a lot of recent teen films do, and some do it better, like Booksmart, and some do it worse, like Ladybird, which is that 
in the 80s, there tends to be this focus on like the nerds and the cool kids. Those are the films. It's like Ferris Bueller and stuff like that and Breakfast Club where there's that clear distinction. Now, it seems like every single teen film, there's always the lead character is this quirky alternative person who just can't fit in, but they have to learn to get you. And that trope can be done really well, but it can also be done so poorly that it really angers me. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> that's the John Green effect of young adult literature. <laughs> yes. Um, of, of that character who is so confident. It's the fact that they're always sort of framed as confident in their being different and quirky, but then also desperate to fit in, which doesn't really make sense a lot of the time. Um, yeah, I guess sort of the framing of this character is an outsider, therefore they must go on this journey and realise that maybe the cool kids were not that awful all along. And I think that is very overused at this point. Yeah, that, that kind of like, by the end, they have to make up with the cool kids. And there's this kind mm -hmm. of like, oh, nerdy person, we, we should have been hanging out with you the whole time. Has that ever happened once in school? Have you ever known that to happen? Yeah, it's ridiculous. And it's just the whole idea, I guess it's sort of, um, similar to how in a lot of these films it'll be like oh here we have the person who they were in love with the whole time and they've got together with them and it all worked out and it's sort of that whole tying everything up neatly to the point where it's just a bit ridiculous and I did find that a tiny bit at the end of Booksmart um as I said I loved it but I felt like the end was a bit too tidy with everyone sort of getting exactly what they wanted um because I thought that that film avoided taking cliches, avoided sort of using cliches badly, because I appreciate a good, a good cheesy cliche in a film. Um, but I thought that that was done quite well. Uh, the ending did kind of annoy me slightly with her speech about how like, oh, we're all the same and we're all blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, I, I agree with with your point there definitely well I, I literally just finished watching book smart like a like a couple of minutes before we started recording this and i i did like it overall um i've made a, a, a brief little list of stuff i liked about it I, I i thought there were some really good strong moments in it i loved the bit where the main character molly is in the bathroom and she talks to the annoying popular kids who have all got into good schools yeah. and she realizes she's not special that's great. I loved seeing that in a yeah. film. I thought there were some really good jokes in it, like uh, the Cardi B joke where they're in the, the lift car. Oh, yes. Yeah, I remember that bit. I won't spoil that if you haven't seen it. If you've seen it, you'll know what I mean. That's very funny. I thought the acting was all really good, and I liked the, the sort of pizza delivery man serial killer thing. I thought that was funny. That was such a brilliant twist. I, was, I didn't see that coming at all, and it was just so funny. In terms of like what we've been saying about American stuff, just going into it knowing it's an American coming-of-age film, I thought, okay, there are certain things I'm just going to have to sort of make my peace with. Like, again, set in California, there's lots of lens flare. The whole film looks really warm. The, 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 the character Amy, played by Caitlin Dever, I thought she was really good. The actress is great, and I liked the story. But there is just that little bit of doubt in the back of my mind where I think, again, she kind of looks like a supermodel. She wouldn't have any difficulty fitting in. You know what I mean? 
yeah. not that much. So there was that. And I, I, I agree, right at the end. It sounds like I don't like it, which I don't want it to sound like, because I did. I thought it was good. I enjoyed watching it. But right at the end, where they, they drive the car through the fence into the graduation. Yeah. It's all just a bit over the top. Yeah, I felt like it slightly lost itself there, which was a real shame because I mean, I, I now sound too like I'm saying I didn't like it and I thought it was brilliant. I really loved it. But um, that sort of hero moment, um, I felt kind of grated against the rest of the film, which I thought was done really well. Um, and yeah, it just felt a bit like it was going too far into that, oh, it's just another teen film, kind of a, kind of a style, which was a shame. And I know what you mean. The, the, the sort of the comparison that came to mind during the ending of that film was, uh, have you ever seen Superbad? That's another film I started and never finished, unfortunately, but I've seen the start. <laughs> again, I can understand it because it's, it's, it's like the American in between is basically. <laughs> it's again, I can understand why people might not like it. It's, it's completely full on, very profane. It's teenage boys talking about lots of kind of like rude, awkward stuff that I can imagine you not wanting to watch potentially. But I, again, I really like that film. Because in the start, they're just constantly talking about sex. They're constantly making these jokes. They're constantly just being kind of outrageous. Then right at the end of the film, do you mind me ruining how it ends? No, that's fine. <laughs> Which I should have asked that at the beginning. <laughs> right at the end, the two main characters, after this crazy night they've been on, realize that it's going to be the last time they'll see each other. Like at the end of Booksmart, where the characters have to mm -hmm. part ways after school. And the way that Booksmart ends is just as it's building up for this emotional uh, sort of parting of the ways, it cuts and goes, nah, they're gonna, still going to have a bit of fun together before the end, which is sort of nice and sweet. It's fair enough. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little bit like, don't worry, there's no real problems in life. You know what I mean? Yeah, I also felt like at the end, I was thinking, but she's already paid for the plane. She's going to miss her flight. That seems like a huge waste. Which was my main sort of like practical concern with the ending. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't actually thought of that. That's a good point. But it felt like it just wanted to put a cute little everything's going to be okay kind of spin on it. Yeah. Whereas with Superbad, the ending of that film is that the two main characters are in this uh, shopping mall, because it's America, and there's they both fancy two separate girls. Each one kind of ends up with the one they want to be with, and they're happy. And then they realize they've got to split ways. So they both start to walk off. And then just as they part ways, they kind of look back and smile at each other. And then they disappear out of view. And it's this very quiet, silent moment in a film that's usually quite loud and outrageous. And you kind mm -hmm. of get this real bittersweet feeling of they've got what they, the, they've, they've ended up with the people they wanted to. That's good. But also they've got to part, and it part ways. And it does feel quite poignant. It does feel like kind of how it feels to leave school. It's not perfect, but I think it's good. And so maybe I'd like to see something a little bit more like that in some coming-of-age films. Yeah, I think um, despite the sort of the niceness of having the ending that's all like, oh, it's all happy, it's all good, I think with um, this genre, it is nice to have that sort of slight ambiguity at the end or maybe sort of that bit of sweetness. Um, I was thinking, I feel like this is a... Not exactly controversial one, but Perks of Being a Wallflower, which is one of my favourite books. Um, and I think the film's great too. Um, 
and I know it was sort of adopted as this sort of very Tumblr 2014 film but um, I think that that film has quite a good sort of that sense of bittersweetness at the end because he ends up that his friends are gone because they're all older than him and he's sort of got to work out how he's going to carry on without having this like network of friends and all of the trauma of the film I'm sure that um have you seen have you seen Perks of Being a Wallflower? No I haven't actually. Oh it's good the book is better I feel like I'm obligated to say that but um it is a good film um and it has this very I feel like I haven't spoiled it haven't given away the ending but um it has that very bittersweet ending where you're thinking like oh that's that's good but also this is so sad but I'm so it, I, I quite like having that slight emotional conflict at the end where I guess it just sort of gives more of a connection than very fluffy sanitized endings absolutely and I, again that sort of idea of a fluffy sanitized ending I don't think that's what being a teenager is about I think that links into this idea of unrealistic expectations if you end if you end a film with like a it's all gonna be okay just keep like I, I don't know when I was at school it's gonna get like a tad personal but I guess it has to in terms of talking about this um a lot of films try and deal with anxiety with teenagers with anxiety and I, I had that I you know I still do I've, I've got generalized anxiety disorder I take medication for it and there are there are a lot of films where they kind of end it with like a it's all cured you know what I mean yes I hate that so much. <laughs> um, it, and I think um, that happens across quite a lot of genres, like often in romantic comedies as well. Any conflict or any sort of problem that someone has is just solved. It's like, oh, well, now, now they're in love. So obviously all their problems have disappeared. And I think it's even worse in the teen film genre because it's very like you're marketing to these, to, to teenagers and then they're going to have this hope that like, oh, everything will be fine. And this sounds really horrible, but like realistically, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and I think, yeah, that, that is really damaging, definitely. Especially, um, I think a lot of films at the moment really want to talk about mental health issues because it's a very sort of popular topic. Um, but so many of them just do it so badly and have that thing of like, oh, it will, it will be fine. Don't worry about it. It will, it will just work out. And yeah, I think it's a real shame. I think there is a lot more potential to discuss things like that in a more productive way, I guess. Absolutely. I mean, just in terms of like adult rom-coms, the best, my favorite, well, one of my favorite romantic comedies, I like a lot of the ones from the 40s, like the Philadelphia story, the kind of old, old ones, because I watched them a lot as a kid and I get into them. But one of the, a, a modern one, a 21st century one that I love is a film called Punch Drunk Love. That's another one that's on my Netflix to watch list. It's by the same man that directed um, There Will Be Blood. So it's, oh, okay. it's Paul Thomas Anderson, who's a, like one of the great modern directors, living directors. The lead is Adam Sandler. So you immediately think, okay, what is, you know, how's this going to play? Is this going to be sort of a goofy comedy? It's the best depiction of anxiety I've seen in any film ever. Just alone on, for that, I'd, I'd recommend it to pretty much anyone. The lead is this character who is so consumed by anxiety and this, these feelings of discomfort that he, be, he behaves erratically. You don't know how he's going to behave throughout the film. And it's self-destructive to a certain point. 
and you see his family life. He's constantly bullied by his family. So you understand sort of why he is as he is. You see his world and his life. And he meets someone that kind of understands him. But their relationship's really difficult. They've got to try and navigate it between them. It's a really mature film. I feel that's one of my one of my favorite films. And again, I'd recommend that to pretty much anyone. That deals with anxiety so well and so interestingly. In a, in a, in a, it recognizes the complexity of it. It doesn't try and make it a character trope. It's not like he's a bit different because he has anxiety. It's kind of like, no, you know, that's who he is. So I would recommend that. Mm, I think that's um, the point you made about it being character trait that annoys me so much um, across like every form of media, really. Um, again, it's going back to young adult literature, but I think it's young adult literature as a genre is absolutely horrendous for doing that, where they go, this character's quirky. They, they um, get nervous in social situations. This will be their entire character trait. They will have no other personality. And on top of that, it won't be a realistic portrayal of anxiety at all. Um, but that sounds, that sounds really interesting. And I think uh, sort of putting it within a romantic genre is also um, something that's often mishandled. So I think that would be really interesting to watch. I'll definitely have a look. Oh, brilliant. Well, you know, I, ho- I hope you like it. <laughs> I'm, I'm very fond of it. Have you seen Edge of Seventeen? God, yeah, I have. Do you not like it? I wanted to like it so badly. I, I, re- I, remember, I remember watching it like it was yesterday. Um, I thought that it looked so nice. There were so many shots where it's like neon reflecting off of the, the wet pavement. And I was like, wow, that's lovely. But again... I hated the main character. Um, I'm starting to think maybe I'm the problem. I just don't like the protagonists of these sort of films. But um, again, I thought she was just complaining a lot. Um, yeah. I think I wrote a very rambling and long letterbox review of Edge of Seventeen complaining about it, which I also did with Lady Bird. Um, just, I just thought it was annoying i found it annoying as a film as far as i remember i couldn't stand that film i remember (laughs) again it was one of those ones i watched because i was like okay i I watched so many coming of age and teen films as a teenager because i wanted to see you know i wanted to be like is there a film that kind of appeals to me in the same way that the in-betweeners does so i watched edge of 17 i agree with you i i like again i like Haley seinfeld um True Grit is really, really good. She's Matty Ross in it. I recommend that. But again, the, the sort of the conflict in that film is that her best friend is having a relationship with her brother that she doesn't like. And then it's like, okay, all right, that's the big conflict. I get that that's when you're a teenager, that's kind of feels massive to you. I get that that's, I understand a little bit. But so throughout the whole film, she doesn't really talk to her friend again. They're, they're done. They're completely done. She hates her brother. And then she starts this relationship with this sort of other nerdy boy who's not like the rest of them. And then towards the end, it's just, it all wraps it up in a perfect bow. It's like she's in a relationship with this nerdy boy. She's friends again with her friend. She's learned to love her brother. It just feels like, no, this isn't what being a teenager is. It feels so forced. Yeah, I think 
this is very off topic, but the main thing I remember from that film is thinking that their house had really weird architecture because it has this weird like balcony in the middle of the living room. Um, but yeah, again, I felt like it was, it felt very forced and also, yeah, I just, I just found again, the sort of the conflicts felt so surface level, like just, just have a conversation. And I guess, I guess kind of what I want to say to these characters, just grow up, which I guess is, you know, the point of the film, coming of age. But I feel like they really don't. They just have these petty conflicts and then it's all resolved for them without them really doing anything. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the neat resolution kind of annoys me. And the, and the fact that they have Woody Harrelson, who again, I love Woody Harrelson. So many, so many, so many good films with him. But he's this like wise, pessimistic teacher who's like, who's like her, her kind of Yoda figure throughout the film. And again, that kind of annoys me. Who has a relationship like that with a teacher? I thought the same thing. I thought when I was watching this, I was like, is no one concerned that she's just hanging out with her teacher? Is that not a red flag for anyone working in the school who's like got to learn about safeguarding and things? Um, which I'm sure is not what I was supposed to take from it. But that was all I could sort of think about the whole time. No, I completely agree. Because whenever those scenes happen, again, it just, it feels too Hollywood. It feels too on the nose. It feels like, oh, the young person and the old person, look, they're not so different. And that it's, so that's annoying. And it's just the fact that when I, when I was at school, your relationship with your teachers is they give you work and you do it, then you leave and you're happy to be away from them. That like, that's, that's how it <laughs> works. It's, it just feels really strange. They don't, again, coming back to the in-betweeners just because I love it and it's perfect. There's nothing like that at the in-betweeners. The closest thing they have to a relationship with a teacher is that the, they, they know Greg Davies, who's their, uh, plays uh, Mr. Gilbert, who's the head of their sixth form, and he's horrible to them. So that's their relationship with him. He's like, oh, they don't like him. That's it. There's, there's no complexity. It's not like, oh, he's their guardian and he needs to give them sage advice. To th No, it's too American. I'm not a fan of Edge of Seventy. Yeah, me neither. Very much. <laughs> And again, it does that Hollywood looks gorgeous and all the actors in it kind of look like models again. And it's like, no, stop. Just cast someone that isn't... If you're doing this anxious social outcast character, they're probably not going to be a supermodel. Yeah. I think with the whole overly polished thing, I think it only works if it's completely leaned into if, and you know that it's really unrealistic. And I'm about to bring up one of my favourite films of all time, which is Clueless, um, which I think is just incredible. I've watched it a ridiculous number of times. And I think that that film, it's so, I guess in some ways, like hyper-realistic, in other ways, just completely ridiculous. And no one talks like a real human being in it. And it leans into all those cliches and it's just so brilliant and it's so fun because it's not trying to be something else and it's not trying to be this like deeper meaningful film it's just it's just really fun and really good and yeah I think that if something if, if all those cliches are really leaned into and that sort of very Hollywood style is really leaned into then it can really work but when a lot of films are trying to sort of go to the indie market and be like oh it's all quirky and different but still keep all of that polishedness it just they just don't fit together very well i think it's brilliant that clueless is getting a sort of cultural renaissance at the moment everyone loves yeah. it it 
again, I completely agree with you. It doesn't try to be anything more than it is. It's not trying to be this, this is what being a teenager is, it's adversity. But if you just try and fit in and make it through by talking, it doesn't try and do any of that. It's just like, yeah, it's kind of weird and silly, ha ha ha. And that's that kind yeah. of, that fits so much better. So I, yeah, again, I completely agree with you on that point. Uh, we had Sam on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Clueless is one of his 10 favorite films. So <laughs> honestly, me too. It's right up there. I have seen it a ridiculous number of times. I can like quote half of it while I'm watching it. Oh yeah. Talking about, I'd be interested to see your take on this. Films where the characters don't talk like real teenagers. Have you seen Juno? That is another film that I have been meaning to watch for way too long. I realise I sound like a complete fake film fan during this whole thing because I just haven't seen any of them. Oh no, that's fine, honestly. Because, spoiler alert, you're not missing out. <laughs> um, Juno is exactly the kind of film that I put with uh, Lady Bird and Edge of Seventeen in my mind. Elliot Page. Oh. Yeah, oh yeah. Elliot Page, who I think is great. I really like Elliot Page. Uh, Again, there's a lot of films. My Days of Mercy is really good. Uh, oh, I'm drawing a bit of a blank right now, but uh, very good films anyway. Very good, very good actor. In that film, the lines that they give him to speak, one of his first lines in the film, he has to look at a shop assistant and say the line, silencio, old man. Oh, God. And have it sound like a natural, just something you'd say, because you're a teenager and you're quirky. <laughs> that opening scene where the character says that, immediately just thought, no. No, it's not got it. doesn't understand. That's, oh, that's an awful line. Wow, that's really terrible. That reminds me of um, Riverdale's writing, which is obviously, like, heralded as incredible literature. Um, and... I know this isn't a new thing to comment on how bad Riverdale is. Um, that being said, I have watched every single episode. I do watch it every week it comes out. Me and my mum sit and watch it. We get every single time. We're like, right, Riverdale tonight. But anyway, um, ignoring my hypocrisy for a second. Um, there are some lines in that that are just so ridiculous. And it remind, that reminded me exactly of it. I think one of my favourites um, is where someone says, I'm so over the toxic masculinity in this corridor right now. And it's supposed to be like an emotion, um, like, a, like a, a moment of heightened emotion. I just thought, what? That's not, that's not even not how people speak. It just doesn't sound like it was written by a person. It sounds like it was generated by some sort of like AI system trying to approximate like how the teens are speaking these days. It was just, it's just horrendous. It, that whole show has such middle-aged man who has a left-wing daughter trying to capture a general progressive and I say this is like a giant lefty trying to catch that sort of progressive like oh the kids are hip now they talk about toxic masculinity so let's literally have a character say that no one yeah. again no one talks like that I mean some other lines I love in Riverdale I'm weird I'm a weirdo I don't fit oh. in and um, I beg your misogynistic pardon. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's another brilliant one. But you're completely right about like it. Really sounds like someone going, "Okay, the kids are into politics now. We need we need to we need to mention politics at some point." But, but let's make it sound really natural. You know how people talk in real life, and then just completely missing the mark. 
again, like, I know, like, just speaking from personal experience, when I was at school, uh, I, I grew up in Shropshire, so it's a very sort of conservative place. Most people there are Tories. And, like, I grew up in a school, not to get too political, but, like, my friends were kind of, like, like me, politically, sort of left-wing. We didn't go around going, like, oh, toxic masculinity over there. And even in Booksmart, which, again... I hate to make it, like, bring it up again. When they keep sort of saying, like, Rosa Parks, Malala. Yeah. It feels a little bit hollow, because, like, I, I was friends with the kind of people that film's trying to depict. The kind of people that Booksmart's trying to depict, these kind of cool, progressive people saying Malala and stuff like this to each other is this kind of sign that they're sort of, they're cool and progressive. The kind of people I was friends with at school are kind of like that, but we never looked at each other and went, like, Karl Marx, Engels... <laughs> Like that—that—that's not what we would we would do. We're talking about chemi- my chemical romance or something. Cause that's what we're into, you know. Absolutely, got to say, best band. Anyway. Brilliant. That's two podcasts in a row where I've agreed with the guest that my chemical romance is great. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very happy. It's this thing where it feels like, as you say, they—they they kind of have like a spreadsheet. It's like teenagers. They talk about politics. They're kind of progressive. So let's have them literally bring up these specific buzzwords. It, it really feels kind of manufactured. And again, I really liked, I did like Booksmart. I thought Booksmart was a good film. But just the, the way they talk, just it rings a little bit hollow. I think yeah. what, once, you've, once you've been, if you're a teenager that's been to those schools and hung out, with, uh, hang out with those kind of people, you know that's not really how people speak. So it just doesn't work as well. Yeah, I think in a sense there's a bit of like pandering to or attempting to pander to this like political and like sort of woke teenager image and then but it 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 feels like it's written as you said about Rodell that like by a sort of slightly out of touch middle-aged man um which I think is quite funny but unintentionally um in most cases but yeah, it often it often does sort of it just feels a bit disappointing because there could be really interesting sort of political discussions, I guess, and sort of these representations of, oh, teenagers are interested in politics now. Here's how they engage with that. But instead you get these very sort of, as you said, manufactured ways of speaking. Absolutely. Have you seen Ghost World? No. <laughs> It's okay, you don't have to. <laughs> um, that's absolutely fine. Well, it's great because you've got a lot of films to, to discover. And Ghost World... I, know. I do have a list now. <laughs> Ghost World is wonderful. That's, uh, it's an American coming-of-age film. It's uh, Thora Birch and Scarlett Johansson. It's a, quite a young Scarlett Johansson. I think it might be one of her first uh, sort of like roles in a film, maybe. That's brilliant because it, 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 it's about... It's kind of like Booksmart in that it's two girls who didn't really fit in at their school. It's the time before leaving high school and going to college. They have this kind of summer and they have nothing to do. It's not like they want to go to that one party and meet that one perfect person. They're just drifting. They're completely aimless. They just walk around the town. They have jobs that they don't really like. They, they meet uh, Steve Buscemi's character, this sort of older man who's really awkward and nerdy and they kind of like him because he's like them. But it doesn't, it doesn't dumb it down. He is a person that has problems. They have to talk to him about what's going on in his life. That film is absolutely brilliant. It's, it's a really good American coming-of-age film because it doesn't play to any of those tropes. 
it's not it doesn't look really pretty even though i think it is set in la it doesn't have that kind of summertime woo we're gonna go out and change our lives and there's none of that in it and there's a really politically interesting uh aspect to that film as well where there's a character who uh, the lead character is played by thora birch goes to an art school this sort of art class and she makes her project be this uh displaying this poster that used to be used by this prominent american fast food chain and it's a, a racist poster from the 50s and she makes her, her it her artwork and the point she's trying to convey is like look how deeply embedded racism is in american life and how we try and look mm. past it and the rest of her class don't want her to display it because they get upset that it's a racist poster and she says no that that's the point i want to make you question it and so you kind of have this interesting little well that it raises yeah. questions. It's it's not her going, ooh, Hillary Clinton. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that, that sounds really interesting. And I think that sort of shows that there, there can be interesting portrayals of how teenagers engage with politics without making it so sort of like hitting you over the head. Like they care, they care about politics, guys. They're just like you. And I think that sort of it's it's much more interesting to have a film that talks about politics in a way that makes you think and raises questions rather than just sort of a very performative thing of just mentioning a random political concern and that's it and you don't hear any more about it it's just we we're aware of that moving on kind of a thing which i think you get in a lot of a lot of shows and films oh god absolutely absolutely now in terms of sort of teen film royalty, I often think of Mean Girls as being near the head of that pack. Have you seen it? I only saw Mean Girls um, at the start of this academic year, which is absolutely shameful seeing as I've seen so many teen films and as you said, that is teen film royalty. Um, I think that because, I think that from watching it um, now, after there's been so many films that are essentially ripped off versions of Mean Girls, because it has to, it sort of shaped the genre. I was slightly disappointed by it because I felt like I'd seen it all before. Um, but I think that's more on the fact that every single film after it of the genre has been influenced by it rather than the film itself being bad mm -hmm. or cliche, yeah. That's interesting. I mean, like, uh, people say that sometimes about films like 2001 A Space Odyssey or like Citizen Kane. I mean, I know it's doing a lot to compare Mean Girls to two of those films that are considered like two of the best ever. But in terms of the fact that as a biopic drama and as uh, a you know, fake biopic drama and as a sci-fi film, those two films set the template for pretty much everything that came after in those genres and other genres. And I suppose Mean Girls does that as well. I mean, like, what I like about that film is that Lindsay Lohan's performance is brilliant. She genuinely feels like a person. I mean, she's kind of like the Molly character in Booksmart in that she's this kind of, yeah. she's this kind of cloistered girl who has spent a lot of, she was homeschooled for years. Now she's entering a school. She's quite quiet. She doesn't quite know who she is. She wants to fit in, but she doesn't quite know. And that's acted really, really well. And it, it kind of makes sense that, again, like, American, Lindsay Lohan, I think is literally a supermodel. So like having her in it, but it makes sense because she hasn't been to a 
high school before. So seeing her in this environment where people want her to be friends with them or don't, it makes a lot more sense than when you have like a supermodel character in a film who's been this social outcast for years, you know? Yeah, I think, um, I think you're right about her being a far more sort of realistic character, um, even though obviously Mean Girls is very sort of hyper-realistic. You still get that sense that like, this is someone who you could know um, at least a bit. And obviously you've got like Regina George who is, I feel like not a real person. Um, and this, that's actually quite interesting, the sort of balance between her sort of Lindsay Lohan's character is far more realistic and then she's in this very artificial world. Hmm, maybe there's a point there. I'm not sure what it is, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that is a good point. I mean, like, I, I, that film kind of feels like the point of it is the entire social world of going to an American high school hitting this character all at once because she hasn't done it. I mean, that's kind of the point. And when you see it, that kind of that experience comes across to you as well because it just seems so bizarre and absurd to her. Like, there's the scene where yeah. she needs to go to the toilet and she's told she can't. And it's it's just so silly. Yeah, I think... Um that sense of like alienation works quite well, especially from, I guess, where we were talking about like the whole American image um, thing, because there's multiple degrees of separation, because I guess if you're in America, you're like, okay, this isn't like actual high school, but at least I recognize the format of a high school. Whereas even from like the UK to America, you have that whole different sort of experience of going to school. So, I think that the alienation works sort of doubly well, maybe, from watching it as a British teenager. Um, but yeah, I think that it, it's quite um, a nice idea to have that outsider perspective on, on high school. It's, yeah. And it's nice and different, because it isn't that... I'm the... I'm the girl... I mean, really... What we're saying about a lot of these films, I suppose, like Lady Bird, is they kind of are that not like the other girls meme. Yeah, absolutely. And it just it gets old really quickly. Um, and I guess Mean Girls is a bit of a spin on that because she's been homeschooled. It's a different kind of approach to the to the topic. That that whole not like the other girls vibe that you get from films like Lady Bird and Edge of Seventeen. After a while, you just kind of think, oh, I don't, I don't like these characters. I mean, that that's kind of what comes across. Yeah, and it's just so frustrating because they're just, yeah, I think that whole thing of being like, I'm quirky, I'm different, and the fact that they're never showing you that they're quirky and different, they're just constantly telling you, and the film is telling you that they're like this special, different person because they have like one obscure interest, and that obviously makes them, that's, that's their whole personality, and that makes them really like different. Um, it's never just like a person who's who is actually, I guess, quirky and different. Because if they really were like that sort of edgy person, then they wouldn't constantly be telling you that they're really edgy. <laughs> so it just sort of makes them feel doubly unrealistic. Yeah, and the the way that they kind of express that they're quirky and different, apart from literally telling you all the time, as you say, is being miserable all the time. Yeah. And, and like, I totally get 
films where teenagers are miserable you know that's what that's a big part of being a teenager i totally get i'm not i wouldn't criticize that but it's just this okay you're miserable all the time doesn't really make you different <laughs> if anything that makes you fit in <laughs> yeah um and oh it's just they just always come across so ridiculous and unrealistic and it's just yeah i, I find it very frustrating um just that that image that it's very much like here's an image of a teenager by someone who's not a teenager who hasn't spoken to a teenager who is just constructing taking a bunch of random personality traits and going yep that's a character um i think they often feel very hollow along with that absolutely i mean something that's just struck me that i think no film has really got or tv series maybe ever is that when you, whenever you see these teenagers in school, they're so vibrant and they're so energetic and they're so lifelike. And they're like, oh, I want to do this. I want to party. If you go to a school, most people just look really tired. They're just like, oh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. There's always, um, I always think about when, when uh, characters in these, in these sort of teen things, they, they leave their classes and they're all like bouncing down the corridor and like all happy and stuff. I think every single time I left a class in college, I was just like, right, time to leave as fast as I possibly can. I'm not like having a, having a joke with someone. Well, that makes it sound like I didn't have friends. <laughs> like having a joke with someone in the corridor and stuff and sort of, yeah, I think the energy levels are just ridiculous in these things because realistically, any teenager is in, in a school, is sleep deprived or wants to leave. And those are the two main things. And it's always people who are like staying in school for fun and like hanging out on the school campus which I always find really strange and yeah far too energetic. They always do that thing where it's someone the camera is facing someone walking towards the camera and then someone else behind them runs up and like slaps them on the back and they're like whoa that never happens when did that happen? You, I think goes hello. <laughs> Yeah, you act like a normal human being. I think one time that happened to me, someone was walking behind me and they tapped me on the shoulder and I jumped so much because that's a really, that's not a thing that people normally do. And yeah, it's even more unrealistic standards. No one really comes and taps you on the shoulder when you're in school. Exactly. And uh, uh, when you were talking about like the sort of leaving in groups, hanging out on campus, I think I'd, if, if, a new teen film was going to come out or someone was like writing one and needed some advice or like anything like that or if i just wanted to get one idea across for teen films focus on the fact that especially now with social media with phones a lot of being a teenager is quite lonely it's quite isolating yeah. i completely agree i always I, I i often think that because there'll be these people and they'll, they'll be like okay i'll meet you at our usual spot and i'm like who meets up in real life <laughs> and i'm just like ignores each other via via whatsapp or whatever and you're just like wow i wonder if my friends actually just hate me and don't want to see me that would be far more realistic than these people like all meeting up in their big groups and stuff yeah it's always like they leave school and they go and hang out in the park and like maybe someone's got some drugs or some booze and they no 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 like maybe i'm the the least cool person on earth when i left school i went home to my mom we watched pointless together or something i had dinner did a bit of homework then i went to bed <laughs> yeah and i feel like that would be a far more realistic teen film maybe it wouldn't be as interesting as people having adventures and stuff but at least you would like recognize it and go 
oh yeah yeah that, that seems about right <laughs> yeah absolutely and i mean like i think when you when people say teen film when I mean, people think of teen films it's usually and like coming of age films it's usually when you're like 17 or 18 so it's all this heightened whoa whoa whoa, whoa kind of stuff whereas like so much of being a teenager is being like 14 and feeling lonely and isolated feeling like you're not old enough to do anything yet you could feel feeling kind of left out and lonely and stuff and then retreating from that and that, that's why so many teenagers like latch onto like emo music and stuff because that's the kind of perfect age for it i feel like that's yeah. kind of underrepresented a bit yeah i i think absolutely that it's it's all these things of like well i guess even the name like of edge of 17 it's like oh you're about to become an adult you're about to do something else and sort of like constantly going like being being about to do something and so much of being a teenager is waiting for that moment of being about to do something and never like actually getting there because it a lot a lot of sort of as you said being about 14 it's just kind of waiting around for things to happen and to to be old enough to do things and feeling like oh i'm not really a child anymore but i can't really i don't really have that independence yet and even in the um films that are about sort of 17 18 year olds where they have more of that freedom i often think but that's you you wouldn't have that freedom in real life no one again in Booksmart, despite loving it they're running around los angeles just kind of doing whatever and i was just thinking would that actually happen is that what it's like for teenagers in los angeles they can just wander around the city in the middle of the night and nothing bad happens to them um yeah i think um yeah there's sort of a gap between where there, there aren't really many films about being in that weird actually teenage phase or sort of a younger or middle teenager like 14 15 which would actually be far more interesting i feel like more emotional development happens at that point Oh yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And like, I think a big part of this and what we're talking about with films like Booksmart, they're all, they're not, it's not just California, it's LA or it's a city. It's, a, it's always a city. Mm. Growing up in rural Britain, there's nothing to do. That's kind of the, the joy of it. It's like when you're a teenager, you either, you're playing, what are you doing? Playing video games, listening to music, watching TV or films, maybe occasionally hanging out with friends outside of school, maybe. But then that's kind of a hassle to organize, especially if you live in rural Britain. And like you're 14, no one drives, so it's like, oh, okay, I gotta get a parent to give me a lift, and that it doesn't look cool and it doesn't seem adventurous, but like that is what being a teenager is. Yeah, maybe have a teen film about someone whose mum drives them everywhere. That would be much more <laughs> realistic representation of of teenagehood. Getting on a bus when you're like 14 is the scariest thing on earth by yourself. Yeah, well, because I um am from London, and I remember sort of like. The first time of going on the tube by myself and I was like oh my god oh that's so there's so much to remember and I was going like two stops but that sort of I guess maybe another thing and this has just made me think in a lot of teen films they're far too confident they tell you that these characters are all anxious and scared but then they just do things that most people would find or most teenagers would find scary for the first time like traveling by yourself suddenly or having this independence that you really want but not really knowing what to do with it and instead in most of these films they're just like okay 
time to go, I guess. And there's no real exploration of those, I guess maybe the small moments of growing up and coming of age instead of the big ones would be more interesting to explore. I, I like that. That's a good point. I mean, like just when you were talking then, I was thinking of, again, I don't want to sound like I'm ragging on it, but book smart. <laughs> there's that bit where they go to the library because they're going to try and find out where like Nick's house is for the party. And she's walking in, she's fist bumping the library and all the music's playing. And it's just like, again, it's fun in the moment. It's cool. It works. It's fun. But like, it's not real, is it? You know, no one does that. Like, it just seems kind of off. I mean, yeah. like a TV series, an American TV series that I really love, that's very underrated, Freaks and Geeks. Have you ever seen any of those? I have not seen it. I have seen it on the Netflix recommended page, but no further than that. Oh, you know, fair enough. It is, I, I really love it. There's a bit of, there's a dilemma in that that I absolutely love because it feels a lot, again, a lot more complex and nuanced than a lot of teenage films. The main character, Sam, really likes a girl. The girl ends up in a relationship with the most popular guy at school who's this basketball player. And so Sam starts to talk to his friends and say, oh, I hate that basketball player guy. You know, why is he getting him? You know, he's, he's, he's so lucky. He's with this girl I really like. He's this, you know, everyone loves him. He's popular. Then Sam spends like two minutes alone with this basketball guy. They both try and use the toilet at the same time and they talk. And you learn that the basketball guy is really, really, really nice. He's a genuinely compassionate, nice person that sticks up for his friends. He isn't horrible. He's a, he's a good person. And you can see why he's with this girl. And then Sam has this dilemma of like, oh, I can't just call the person that's with the skull I like horrible because he's really nice. And he has to kind of come to terms with it. That's really good. I like that a lot. Yeah, I think um, sort of deconstructing the sort of teen film cliches where you have, oh, the mean jock, the popular cheerleader, that sort of thing. I think that um, deconstructing those images is really interesting. And that sounds like it does it really well. Um, this is again going to sound like I don't like Booksmart, <laughs> I really did, but um, I felt like at points, because they really did go for that of sort of, oh, the really popular kids are actually really smart, and they're not horrible, and all of this, and at points I was like, okay, well, not everyone is a nice person, <laughs> some people just suck, and in this it was like, even the people who suck end up being really nice, and it's like, mm, is that true? <laughs> Yeah, like at the end when it does that bit where uh, that girl who everyone calls AAA as like a sort of rude mm -hmm. nickname picks up Molly in the car and they kind of bond. When she was driving the car, I was like, no, no, don't do this. Don't do this trope where it turns out the bully's nice. Please don't do it. Because they all do it. Edge of 17 does it as well. The older brother who's like horrible. You then learn like, oh, actually, he's got a heart of gold and he's just not. And it's like, no. Did, I, I mean, Again, I mean, I know it's like the most immature show on earth, um, South Park, but I loved South Park when I was a teenager. And there's an episode of that where a character's girlfriend leaves him for another guy. And at the end of the episode, he looks at the other guy and just says, you're a dick. And it just ends like that. I love that because that's kind of what it's like. You don't make up. You don't, everyone's not, oh, actually, you've, I've, I've seen the hidden real person in you kind of thing. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, every every sort of antagonist within teen films is just like, oh no, don't worry, they're actually fine. There's a completely reasonable explanation for why they've tormented this character for years. I kind of like in um, 
in Mean Girls, although there is a bit of a redemption, as far as I remember, it's like, yeah, she's she's still kind of horrible though. Regina's still not like a great person, even though she does have some like a bit of redemption. It's like, no, some some people just are like that, and it's it's. I feel like it's more interesting to have a character who just isn't a nice person rather than trying to go, oh no, they're actually really uh, a really complex character and they have all of this nuance and so it's like, no, just make them horrible. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. That trope just angers me. I thought I'd ask you a question and see what the, the answer is because I think it could be quite interesting. When you were a teenager, what kind of films did you really love and watch a lot? Hmm. Um, mostly very, very bad films, specifically as a genre. I went through um, a phase of, with one of my friends at the time, we'd just find horrendous films that were sort of, I think one was like an Amazon original, um, like right at the bottom of the page, just horrendous. And we would sit and watch them and go, this is a really bad film. And it was so fun because you're not pretending to watch something that is actually good and you're not trying to sort of give it any merit. Um, I guess that's just hate watching, but that was fun. Um, also watching a huge amount of romantic comedies. Um, I think probably one of my favorite films, I'd, yeah, I'd say one of my favorite films ever um, is When Harry Met Sally which I think is a great film. And I also forced all of my house to watch it um, last term, which was fun. Um, definitely didn't pressure them at all into that. They all liked it though, so it was fine. Um, but yeah, I feel like romantic comedies are probably what I watched the most of. So the films you were watching weren't really the sort of teen film. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I think... I think the thing with teen films is, I actually wrote a note of this because I thought of it earlier. Um, it's quite interesting to watch them at different ages. Mm. So um, with Perks of Being a Wallflower, I watched it at a friend's birthday party when I was too young, had no idea what was going on. I think I was like 11. So I was not getting the nuance of this film. It's all about like trauma and all of this and like growing up and all these difficulties and I was like I, I'm, I'm 11 I have no idea what's going on all I know is that they're playing Heroes by David Bowie okay that's all I took from the film <laughs> and then um I watched it again quite a few years later when I think I was about 16 and I absolutely loved it because I could get the nuances and I could understand more about it and then watching films teenage like teen films now when I'm older than the characters is also quite interesting because I feel like looking back on it I'm like wow they're really immature and this is so unrealistic and it's just not gonna happen like that yeah I think watching films about teenagers before you're a teenager when you're a teenager and after you're a teenager is quite interesting to get a different perspective on them that is really interesting I, I, I agree with you because like when I was a teenager, I did watch a lot of teen films because I just but the, like, I, I watched a lot of films pretty much like full stop. That's what I was doing constantly. The films I really, really loved that I watched a lot were films about adult characters because I, I didn't I didn't watch teen films to be like, oh, I wish I could be going to all these parties with, you know, I, 
I was watching adult films because I was kind of like, I kind of feel more like these characters, you know? Yeah, I think um, some of that's kind of laziness on the part of filmmakers because the characters in teen films are often so two-dimensional and so kind of uninteresting that it's difficult to really relate to them. Whereas if you're watching a film about adults, they're often much more fleshed out and there's, there's more to relate to and more to sort of hold on to rather than these sort of just like very blank canvas ones of teens. Oh, absolutely. Like I, I hit about 13 and then my dad was like, okay, I can just let you watch pretty much like any film now. So I watched a lot of like older films than my dad when I hit about 13. And so like, I'd go to, again, this is going to make me sound like I'm not like the other guys, um, <laughs> like the male equivalent. But like when I went to school, there'd be people talking, like, talk, you know, doing the whole sort of teen, film, uh, teen thing where they're talking about going to parties and all this kind of stuff. Because that does happen. I mean, you know, there is a certain amount of truth in a lot of teen films. But I was always more into, like, I watched a film called With Nail and I when I hit about 13, which is about alcoholic unemployed actors in London in the 60s. <laughs> and that really appealed to me because it's, it's Paul McGann and Richard E. Grant who are really good actors. And they go on this really disappointing holiday because they're so miserable with their lives. And then they just have to come back home at the end of it. And to me, that was that felt much more like what I was going through as a teenager than like, I've got to go to the party and impress all my friends and meet the nice girl. This this idea of making a film that's like about trying to escape from something but then realizing you can't. To me, that's mm. that's more suitable, that, that sort of fit more. And I was watching a lot of like, because I was probably really precocious and annoying. I was watching stuff like... Um, the Godfather, Magnolia, There Will Be Blood, Chinatown, all these kind of films that are massively acclaimed. Mm. Stuff, my first steps and stuff like that. So I think if, you, if you're making teen films, you don't need to dumb it down and you don't need to do the whole going to the party. I think that the whole party thing is annoying in general. Yeah. That's because like, even again, sorry, books, Mark, I like you, but like <laughs> even that, the whole plot is we've got to go to this party. And there's a little bit of me that's like, would those characters actually want to go to it? Or would they just want to be by themselves that evening? There's a little bit of me that thinks, yeah. Would would they? I get that she want. Uh, is it Amy wants to be with Ryan, the the girl that she likes? Yeah. So I get. I I understand that. That kind of makes sense. And you find out later on that Molly wants to be with Nick. But at the beginning, where they're like, "We've got to go to this party," you've just been quite mercilessly put down by the people that are running it. Why? You see what I mean? Yeah. I thought that was a bit strange because they were, I kind of got the like, oh my God, we've missed out on everything. We have to, we have to have our whole teen experience right now. And I thought that was quite nice because then it's like, I guess recognizing all of those cliches as unrealistic for a lot of people. But then on the other hand, yeah, like you said, everything we're told about their characters suggests that they wouldn't want to do that. And that maybe they'd make one attempt at it and then go, oh, you know what? not really worth it um so yeah that that's a really good point and um what you said about sort of that trying to escape but not being able to really reminded me of a film I watched last year um Kicking and Screaming which I absolutely loved I finished watching it and I remember just sitting there going oh my god I have to I have to do something with my life which um I think is the desired effect for a lot of teen films and um this one is it's about recent university graduates and basically they just they can't get away from 
the friendships they've made with each other despite the fact that they're really disrupt destructive and they're just stuck in these routines and they can't even leave the university and they're all just like going to the same student bars and stuff but they're not students anymore they're just trapped and there's this heartbreaking moment at the end where this isn't too much of a spoiler because there's nothing like spoilery about the film it's not really a very tense film but where this guy's trying to leave and um he, he he's like trying to be all spontaneous and he goes to buy a plane ticket and they say oh there's no planes till tomorrow you have to come back tomorrow and you know that he won't and he's just going to stay stuck in this place and I thought that was just even though they're not teenagers I guess it still kind of counts as a coming of age film and I thought that was a far more realistic ending and it had that real bittersweetness that we were talking about earlier that like maybe growing up isn't all that great and I thought that was quite an interesting idea. No, that sounds good. I'd like, I have heard of Kicking and Screaming. I've been interested by it for a while. Is it like Noah Baumbach or someone? I don't know who made it. Yeah, it is. And I haven't watched any of his other films. Um, I think it was his first film, but it's really great. I loved it. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, that, uh, that's definitely one for me to check out. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, the, the bittersweetness that, that we've mentioned a couple of times, I think that's kind of what it is to be a teenager. Uh, the, the, again, teen films are something I've, I feel quite strongly about and quite passionately about more than, so than a lot of other genres because I have genuine lived experience with what they're trying to depict. Yeah. And like, just this being a teenager is so complex, you can't reduce it down. And it's very, very, there's a lot of isolation and there's a lot of loneliness. And I think that that idea of the loneliness and the isolation. I guess it's hard to make a film that only has like one character who maybe talks to a couple of others. But like even something like The Inbetweeners, which I love, it's this group of friends. And even though they don't fit in, ultimately they kind of have each other's backs and they're like, like there's a lot of people that don't really have that as teenagers. Yeah. And I think that sort of image of you will go to school and you will have a group of friends or a few friends and you're all really close and you all like, as you said, have each other's backs. That's so pushed in every single teen film. And I, I always, um, this is going to make me sound really sad and lonely, but I remember being about like 14 or something going, well, when am I going to get my giant group of friends who all like know everything about each other and have like, I think one thing, and this sort of ties back to the idea of uh, social media and things now where people don't just go and hang out, is where people just show up at each other's houses with no warning and they just arrive I'm like do, do people actually do that like you don't need to make plans beforehand and I guess that's the whole thing of the, these friendship groups that are so close and they're each other's they're sort of their own world um and that's in nearly every teen film I can think of and it's just another thing that's sort of no a lot of people are just really lonely and don't have that and feel really isolated and yeah, I completely agree that that's not really represented very well. Absolutely. There's a, there's a director that I talk about a lot on here because I really, really love him and his films. He's called Michelangelo Antonioni, uh, Italian, made films in the 60s. And they're all, they're all on these like best films of all time lists, which I know is like a bit daunting for a lot of people. Like, oh, you know, foreign films in black and white from the 60s that are on best films of all time lists that are quite long. And I don't want to... So I understand why, like, you know, people don't, maybe not don't know him maybe he's a bit of an obscure figure 
his films are all about isolation and loneliness and not being able to communicate how you feel to other people. The, the lead actress that's in a lot of his films, who I think he was in a relationship with for quite a while, Monica Vitti, is my favorite actress in anything ever because in a lot of the films, she's silent. She doesn't say very much. And you, you see every emotion going through her on her face because she can just act it that well. And uh, there's two films in particular, La Ventura, which means the adventure, and L'Eclisse, which means the eclipse. And both of those films are about basically her being in her mid-twenties, being an attractive person, but having nothing to do and just wandering and trying to fool herself into believing that she's getting into something interesting, either a relationship or like some kind of mystery she's trying to solve. And it always ends up with her alone again at the end or falling back into something toxic as a way of her trying to get some meaning in her life. And they're quite sad, desolate films, but when I watch them, I love them. And they make me think this is more accurate to what being a teenager is, even though they're not about that, than a lot mm. of films that are like, we're the group of friends going on the road trip to the, we need to go on holiday and we're going to get drunk. And, it'll, and it's like, it doesn't really happen. It, it just, it isn't accurate. Yeah, I think, I guess with what we're talking about is that you can't reduce being a teenager to a single experience and sort of go, this is the teenage experience because everyone has their own I've said experience like four times in the last 30 seconds. But everyone has their own experience of growing up and their own individual sort of lives and personalities and things. And to say, oh, you can't, these are, these are the only experiences open to you as a teenager. It's just so reductionist. And, and I guess that's why sort of adult films and films that are about, like, like you were saying, like films about isolation and things are more appealing to teenagers because they're closer to, real experiences absolutely and i think that that's something you really look for as a teenager when you're watching films there's a lot of times where you just want to watch something entertaining but that's the age when your emotions are so heightened that when you're you know interacting with any kind of media like tv film music you want something that's like this is how i feel and i think films like ladybird are going we're going to make that film we're going to do that this is how i feel film and it doesn't work at least for me whereas yeah something that isn't even trying to do that like with nail and i or la ventura gets it so much better just nails it completely i, th I thought i'd just mention this briefly I, this is a thought i had just before we started recording especially with american teen films there seems to be, be this idea of we're going to subvert the status quo for years our school has been the popular kids here we're the outcasts who are still models and very attractive doesn't make much sense for outcasts but we still are we're gonna, there's going to be one crazy night or something like this where we're going to change everyone's opinion. We're going to subvert the status quo. Now everyone's going to get along or we're going to be the popular ones. And th I guess that, that that sort of urge to do that, completely understandable. In American films, they always win. They always do it somehow. Even if it looks like they're not going to, they do eventually. Yeah, that's true. I also often think um, when they say that like, oh, this is, it, it's always been like this. I was like, has no one else wanted to challenge this? If every single teen film is about people challenging the status quo, then there's got to be, at some point, it's, it's being challenged, it's being changed. And it's, it's always the exact same structure of like, popular kids are popular, sporty people, popular, they do sport. This person likes science, so obviously they're not cool. Uh, they're gonna try and be popular. And it's kind of like, first of all, that's not, how schools work and then also it 
like I was saying, if every single film is about challenging that, then has it not already within the world of the film? Has no one else tried to challenge this before? It just seems, I know that teen films are unrealistic in general, but that seems even more unrealistic. Oh, absolutely. Again, I just completely agree. Like I went to the, I went to primary school with a guy called Dan and he was the best in our school at football and maths. He just like, he just, he was just incredibly skilled, talented dude in a lot of areas. And like, there are people like that, that you don't really yeah. see in a lot of these films. Yeah, I think there's so much like, oh, everyone is in their own little box and this is what the world is really like. And you're just expected to go, oh, okay, despite the fact that I'm pretty sure, I mean, I don't have any experience of American school, but people aren't just, people don't fall neatly into one category and just stay there. Absolutely. I mean, like the, the sort of the word that sort of defines being a teenager for me that I like to see in films and it's why I like films like Ghost World and even like Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Again, it's not about teenager. That's my favourite film, Scott Pilgrim. I've written a lot about it <laughs> in the past. I love that film. Yes, I'm glad you agree. <laughs> Just because it's about drifting. That whole film is about, mm. like, again, I'll, I'll try and break down very quickly. I mean, you love it, so there's no, there's no need. But, like, the, the reasons why I love that film is that the Scott character is basically still a child at the beginning. He's, he's going out with a 17-year-old girl, even though he's in his 20s, and all of his friends are like, that's weird, dude. Why are you doing this? It's really creepy. You shouldn't be doing it. And he's, he's, his reason for saying he's doing it is because it's easy. They just hold hands. Like, there's nothing more to it. And he's just, he's very, very immature at the beginning of the film. It's a coming of age film in the sense that he needs to grow up a bit. And so he has this relationship with uh, Ramona and every single ex that she has kind of represents an issue he has in his life. So mm -hmm. her ex that's the successful actor is his own inability to be successful. Her ex that's in the music industry is his desire to get in the music. And everyone sort of correlates. One of her exes is currently going out with one of his exes. So it's about him facing his demons. Every single fight in that film, even though it's really fun and flashy, has kind of a meaning to it about why it's personal to him. And the, the bit of symmetry that I love in that film that just makes it is that halfway through the film, he plays Ramona a really short song where he just strums the guitar a bit and says Ramona. And she says, oh, that's lovely. Play it to me when it's finished. And he goes, well, finished? Because he thinks it is. And then right at the end where they hold hands and they go through the doors together because they're in a, now they're properly in a relationship. They've got rid of their baggage. It plays the full song because it's about him needing oh, to... Didn't notice that bit at all when I watched it, but yeah, I think that's that is a really good film and that idea of drifting and that again in that film, um, you could very easily go, okay, well Scott sucks, like he's he's not a great person and he's incredibly flawed, but it doesn't stop you enjoying the film. Whereas with Ladybird, for example, the character's so flawed that well personally like that made me not enjoy the whole film so I think that that's quite a good balance that is struck there that you can go yeah he really sucks this isn't a good guy but you still care and it doesn't it doesn't ruin it I completely agree with you like there's a lot of people who just refuse to watch it because they're like oh he's he's cheating on his girlfriend he's he's dating this high school girl when he's in his 20s this is why why would I want to watch a film with him in and I think the the point is that like the film is about correcting his flaws to by the end he kind of is a different person like 
near the end of the film, he has to apologize to people he's wronged. And he kind mm. of puts, he leaves. The ending of him going through the door is him putting that life behind him because he's like, I'm, I'm a different person now. He genuinely changes. And I think a lot of it is that he, he doesn't seem like someone that it wouldn't be fun to hang out with. Throughout, yeah, because yeah, like throughout the whole film, he is chipper, he is upbeat, he is fun. He's kind of like, you, you can kind of understand why he's friends with these people and why they're friends with him. Whereas with Ladybird, she's just crushingly miserable. And like, you feel like the script is screaming, she's misunderstood the whole time. But yeah. she isn't misunderstood. She's understood very well as being just kind of an annoying, miserable person <laughs> that you wouldn't want to spend time yeah. with. And I felt like, um, also, she, she was so horrible to other people because she's horrible to her friend who's clearly going through like a really difficult thing with her mum's boyfriend or whatever. And then you've got her brother and then her brother's girlfriend who's been like kicked out of her house who even says directly to her at one point, your mum's an amazing person who's done all this for you and done all, all of these things for me as well. You don't appreciate her. And she's like, yeah, whatever. And then she makes the, because even though she is quirky and cool and different and doesn't want to fit in, um, she wants to make friends with the popular girl who she then lies to. And then the popular girl goes, okay, well, I'm not going to be friends with you anymore because you lied to me consistently. And it's like, okay, well, we meant to feel sorry for her because she's the one in the wrong in all of these situations. <laughs> yeah, so I think there's definitely something to be said with Scott Pilgrim that he's an awful person that you can sympathise with and who actively tries to be better. Whereas with Ladybird, she, she doesn't try to be better. She just is awful. <laughs> and some of the ways that Scott's awful are quite understandable because a lot of it is just laziness. Like, yeah. He isn't a genuinely malicious or cruel or like misanthropic person. Like a lot of the reason he doesn't like literally when um when uh, his roommate Wallace says you should break up with knives right now, he goes, Oh, it's hard. Because he's just lazy, yeah. he's a child. Like that's that's kind of the point. Yeah. And I think it's it's just far more interesting to have a character like that where you can kind of recognize you can understand their actions more than someone who just seems to act irrationally and make the wrong decisions, but for no reason. Absolutely, absolutely. Like, another aspect of it is that I think the social world that these films construct is a big part of the reason why you either like them or don't. Because when I watch a film like Lady Bird, it's this like sort of Catholic school, everyone in it kind of seems a bit miserable. I, I, I don't desire to spend time in the world with these characters. I, do, I just, I don't want, there's, there's nothing that makes me want to be there with them. With Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, even if you don't like Scott very much, it's not set in a school, it's set in these like apartments and houses in Toronto. It's wintry, it, it's set in like the mid-2000s, they're all using flip phones and like old computers, even though it was made in 2010. And it's revolving around alternative indie music. And the bands that write the music are like Broken Social Scene, Metric, and Beck. It's like, it's all really good stuff. So yeah. I... I really I want to spend as much time as I possibly can in this world. It's great. And I love all the characters. It's a big ensemble film, you know, all the characters in it that went on to be massive. It's just like bit parts from like Anna Kendrick and Aubrey Plaza, just to mention. Yeah. Um, I, I really agree with that. With the sort of, you, in Ladybird, you don't want to be there. I guess, <laughs> I guess you could argue that like that's deliberate because she doesn't want to be in Sacramento, but it's like, well, I don't want to be in Sacramento either. Please let me finish this film so I can move on with my life. I think that, yeah, in Scott Pilgrim, especially because it's stylistically so 
brilliant you want to be in that world and as you said you want to stay there for as long as you can because it's it's just fun and I feel like so many a lot of teen films they're trying so hard to be all deep and meaningful that they're not fun and really as a genre of teen or high school films they're meant to be fun and you're meant to enjoy them and not sort of like have to suffer through them oh absolutely I mean like have you seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off nope (laughs) (laughs) that's okay I mean I, I think that balances it very well because there is kind of a message in it. Like, I'm, I'm going to get the quote wrong. It's a good sort of famous film quote. It's like, uh, life goes pretty fast. If you don't stop oh, around yeah. and look once in a while, you'll miss it. Which is simple, but kind of effective. It's this idea that just try and have fun once in a while, right? Like, it's, it's not pandering. It's just kind of like, yeah, try to have fun. It's, it's not a very complex message. And it is genuinely fun. They go on this day out. They go on this, uh, this day off, rather. They, there's this whole sequence where it's completely over the top and overblown but there's this marching band going through Chicago playing Twist and Shout and all the characters dancing to it. And it's genuinely fun. You're like, yeah, I'm so happy for the characters. I want to be here. This is great. Whereas with something like Lady Bird, it really does just feel like an hour and a half self-pity film that yeah. I don't know what I'm supposed to get out of it. I totally get the idea of like being a teenager and being miserable and morose all the time. Again, totally makes sense. But if that's the whole film... And there's not much to it. And I don't like the characters. I'm just not getting it. Yeah, there's... I think my entire thoughts on Lady Bird is just that there's there's nothing appealing about it at all. I don't think. I don't think it has... I don't think it has anything. And um, the way people talk about it, you think it's going to be this incredible, like, life-changing film that's going to make you think in a different way or whatever. And then you watch it and it's like, well... I have got nothing from this experience of watching it. And I think even really bad films sometimes, or really simple or cliche films, you come away either feeling like slightly happier or a bit uplifted or like, oh, that was that was fun. That was a nice hour and a half of, of my day. And with Ladybird, it was like, oh, well, I feel like, I'm one, I've wasted my time and I've just got nothing from, I, I haven't got anything out of watching this apart from, now, whenever anyone brings it up, I have to go on a really long rant about why I don't like it. And that's it. Yeah, I mean, like, as a character, if I was at the same school as Ladybird, I'd stay away from her. I wouldn't want to get involved with her. So why would yeah. I want to watch a, a film about, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, I completely agree. Have you seen um, a, a, a version of Carrie, any version of that story? I'm deeply averse to horror films. Even if they're not horror horror. Um, So no, but I do know the plot. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, again, the 70s carry with Sissy Spacek. I haven't seen the the Chloe Grace Moritz one. Um, I really like the 70s one because it takes that pain and that anxiety and that sort of just complete repulsion with being a teenager and who you are and how you fit in. And it makes it into a, a, a horror film that is quite effective and works very well because it doesn't become a horror film until like the last 15 minutes, just up until that point. It's just this character being treated horribly by everyone around them. And it works because you like Sissy Spacek enough to want to keep watching it. It it wouldn't work if she wasn't that good an actress, if she wasn't that sympathetic. And then when she just unleashes this absolute hell at the end, this absolute massacre where she kills all these people, you're cheering her on because you hate everyone around her so much that you're like, yeah. And that's... Mm -hmm. I don't know, I think there's something to be said for that as a film, just in the fact that 
it breaks that mold of teen films by having all the tropes. It has the party. It has the, the sort of lonely outcast, isolated girl played by someone who's actually very attractive and so on. But when it, it comes to the crunch, it's so subversive and that it just, it doesn't do that. The bully's actually nice thing, which I really hate. It kills them. <laughs> I think that's far more interesting. And then again, it doesn't give that redemption arc to every single horrible character. It's just like, no, they're horrible and now they're dead, which is, I think that's more interesting. I prefer films that do that. Just yeah. I think I think that's, that makes more sense. Like the, the whole... There's kind of like a, a, a trope that I like to joke about in films, which is, we're not so different, you and I. Yeah, like, very overused. It's so overused. And it gets to the point where, like, even in, again, sorry, Booksmart, when AAA is driving Molly back at the end and AAA makes, like, some kind of joke and Molly's like, ah, you're right. I'm like, you wouldn't react like that. You hate her. Yeah. I feel like um, with that, exactly, it's sort of that just immediately going, oh, okay, I guess we're not different. <laughs> I'll just I'll just ignore everything that's happened for like what's implied to be my entire school career. I'll just go, oh okay. Um I guess we're friends now. And it just it just doesn't it doesn't work. Absolutely. I mean I guess like what we've sort of agreed on a lot here is that there's often this sort of formula to a lot of teen films that they try and fit them into. I really like um, your point about John Green bringing that into it. I'd never considered how big a part that played. Yeah, um, I actually ended up writing one of my um, essays recently on John Green and about, and I had to really restrain from going on a huge rant about how much he's damaged like pop culture completely. But um, yeah, I think that whole sort of overblown teen narrative that's just got the most insufferable characters and really just completely unrealistic this is what being a teenager is like stories and I think it's just so present now in books and films and I think moving away from that would be a very good thing 100% like there's there's a bit in but again sorry book smart I know I keep bringing it up but like it's just it's such a convenient example and it's very fresh in my mind because I've just seen it the bit in that where, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Booksmart, maybe go ahead a bit in the podcast. The bit where Amy discovers that Ryan and Nick are in a relationship and it plays the sort of really sad music and then she has the argument with a friend and as they're arguing, their words get drowned out by the music and it's all this emotion. and Like, fair enough, okay, American film, I get it. In The Inbetweeners, there is an episode where Will likes a girl called Charlotte. He goes to a party where he knows she is. He goes upstairs to look for her and she's having sex with someone in a room. He goes downstairs. His friends go, oh, where's Charlotte? And he goes, oh, she was, she was upstairs having sex with Patrice. One of his friends goes, oh, unlucky. That's it. That's all you need because it, it just works. That, to me, that's, yeah. that's so much more effective. I think that there's definitely something to be said for that sort of far more understated thing because... Um, yeah, I guess when you're in that social environment where there's loads of people and everyone's interacting and whatever, I guess, I guess like you don't really, in real life, you don't expect to end up with the person you like. No one really believes in that because the whole point is like, oh, it's all unrequited and that's just how it will be. And um, 
that sounds like a far more interesting interpretation of it because realistically that's how your friends would react you wouldn't have a huge fight about it and just I really did like that scene in Booksmart where um the music drowns out their argument and you only really see other people's reactions to what they're saying I thought that was quite nice because then it's like you because you don't need to know what they're arguing about you just know that it's like destroying their friendship um I, I did quite like that yeah. but yeah I felt like to an extent that romantic plot line or the two romantic plot lines they weren't really that relevant to the main story um in a way I don't know I guess because the main relationship is really between the two friends those are sort of just it felt like maybe something else should have triggered that huge argument rather than something about other people's relationships I'm not sure but yeah I, I guess that those sort of like infatuations are a reason for them to go to the party I guess that like just narratively it serves that purpose because like as I said earlier I, I totally get that feeling of oh god I've wasted my teenage years I think even people who are really popular probably have that thought you know what I mean yeah that seems pretty universal I totally understand that but like just speaking personally as someone that was kind of a little bit like like the molly character who sort of like worked really hard at school and didn't go to parties or stuff like that that much my my reflex or my like reaction or what i'd want to do if i felt that on graduation would be like let's call up my friends let's see what they're doing let's go out and have some fun or watch a film or something i wouldn't think let's go to the party of the people that made fun of me on the off you see what i mean yeah definitely it does it does seem like a bit of a strange choice and I think in the film that was never really elaborated on. It's just like, oh, we're going to go to the cool popular kids' parties despite the fact that we've said that we hate them and they're all awful and they don't like us, so why would, why would we want to go to their party where we're not going to feel welcome? Um, yeah, that was slightly, I guess if you think about it for more than like three seconds, it's a bit of a strange choice on their part. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I mean, oh, I wanted to ask you about this. With the two girls, when they're they're sort of getting dressed and they're in their new clothes, they do that thing where they're looking at each other and they're like, whoa, you're, you know, you're so perfect, whoa, that kind of thing. Do girls do that? I'm intrigued. Yes. Okay. I think it's slightly overblown in that, but I I, I watched that part and I thought, yeah, that, that kind of, that does happen. That's, I, I, I quite like that detail. I felt like their friendship um, and the way they interact with each other was a pretty good representation of female friendship um and I thought that was quite refreshing because I think you often don't get that in films um but yeah I thought that that I really liked that moment and that sort of like hyping each other up and they're they're just so enthusiastic about each other in a really nice way and it just felt I, I thought that was a very genuine moment I thought that was yeah yeah I, I really like the two of them and I think they had good chemistry. They're, they're very good actors. And I liked all of that. I mean, like the, the, the stuff that I really liked about the film was probably more towards the beginning. The sort of that, like yeah. that feeling of awkwardness, and that feeling of, oh God, we've wasted it. And like the fact that they are close friends. I think all that works very, very well. Have you seen a film called Eighth Grade? I wanted to see Eighth Grade when it came out. And it's the same as with Booksmart. I have been going since both of those films came out saying, I really want to watch those and then not watching it. Um, but I've seen the eighth graders on Netflix. So I'm watching it this week, I think, actually. I, w I won't ruin it for you, but I think that's a good film. 
it's it's not necessarily like the best ever or anything but again like how old are you in eighth grade like because it's america like 13 or something mm. like that's good because again it's a teen film that's not about being 18 and trying to go to get some booze in and all this kind of stuff that film is about being uncomfortable with who you are because you're a young teenager so i think that works very well the the lead in it is absolutely wonderful um i think her name's elsie fisher i think she's really really, yeah. really good i i liked that film quite a lot because um I won't spoil it. It goes into dark areas. There is dark stuff in that film and there's stuff about being uncomfortable with who you are and it feels like it rejects quite a lot of tropes. I think that's good. That's, that's like a worthy um, American coming-of-age film from recent years. Yeah, I, I'm definitely looking forward to watching that I've been to you for so long now. Oh, absolutely. Well, we've been talking for nearly two hours now. <laughs> Oh wow! <laughs> just to, to say about this topic. <laughs> I think I think it's gone rather well. I'm I've really enjoyed talking about it. I thought just to cap it off, I might ask: Are there some particular teen films that you think are really good? Those coming of age films that you think are really worthy? Oh, I feel like I've mentioned um, some. I think Perks of Being a Wallflower. It's definitely a flawed film, and I would recommend the book more. But I think that's good. I I don't know if this really counts. I really love Dead Poet Society. Um, and again, I know it has its flaws and there's a lot of things that people really hate about it, but it's just it's just so good. It's such a great film. Um, and I think that it has that bittersweetness and it it's not realistic per se, but it I feel like the characters, um, well, not all of the characters, because it's obviously quite a big ensemble, so you don't go into a go. it doesn't go into a lot of detail with some of them, but they feel like they interact like real people, um, which I think is really enjoyable, and yeah, I feel like I have to like it because I'm a literature student, but it's great. I would definitely recommend. I think those are, yeah, apart from the other ones I mentioned, Clueless, obviously, but yeah, those ones are good. Brilliant. Well, I, I do love Clueless. Uh, I thought I'd just recommend a few that maybe I haven't mentioned. Napoleon Dynamite, which is a really good alternative one. I watched that all the time as a kid. I love that film. It's one of my favorites ever. Ghost World, which I mentioned. The Virgin Suicides is a really good film. That's another one that I've been meaning to watch. That's brilliantly acted. And again, it's a film about memory pain loss and disappointment so it's it works a lot better i think as a team film than a lot of them and it's not about going to the party and meeting the popular it's not about that it's about a, a, a strange really dark mystery uh days to confuse which i mentioned carrie again heathers i really like heathers oh yeah that's good i love winona rider could watch winona rider in anything yeah <laughs> Uh, Super Bad, which I mentioned, and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Uh, those are all great coming-of-age films, I think. I will definitely be putting those on my list. <laughs> Brilliant. Lucy, it's been absolutely lovely talking to you. It's been nice talking to you too. This has been very interesting, and I now have even more films to watch, <laughs> so thank you for that. <laughs> Would you like to uh, plug or recommend any of your social media? Oh. I guess my Twitter, I do occasionally talk about films on my Twitter. It's just Lucy LL Carter. If anyone would like to follow me, I say stupid things and retweet pictures of cats. So what more could you want? Absolutely. Best of both worlds there. 
As always, I've been Frank Evans, the editor of the Bore Film section. This has been our episode on teen films. We should have an episode coming out this time next week. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you stay safe, and I hope that you've had a good Easter holiday. Thank you very much.